Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much. We want to thank you for this time that we can gather and listen to your word. Those aren't easy words that we just listened to. Lord, we wish that our lives weren't, uh, that we weren't still dealing with sin. Our hearts desire to, to live without sin so that we might reflect more of your glory in this world. But we thank you so much for the hope that's found in those verses. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that as we take a closer look at these words this morning, that our hearts would be soft. That we would allow your Holy Spirit to, to dig a little. That the, the light that you are would expose the darkness that still remains. And that we would walk in a more holy way as a result of it. Have your way, Lord. We pray that you would use this time to draw us closer to you. And closer to each other. And I pray that we would leave this place different. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, all right, last week when, <laughs> when we were done, not one, not two, but three of you right after the service, and then during the week, different people uh, talked to me and said, what was the homework? <laughs> What's the homework? I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't give you a homework assignment last week. And I'm like, I didn't realize that you guys loved it that much. <laughs> so that's great. I'm so glad. So your homework for this week, I'll tell you right now, is to read uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we'll give you plenty of homework. No, uh, just in case I forget at the end of any of these messages as we're working our way through this series, I will definitely try to remind you what we're going to be covering next week. But uh, when in doubt, uh, read First John. Uh, all five chapters, it won't take you long, but it, you know, the more we read it, the more we consume it, uh, the more we're going to see how this whole book just keeps hitting the same issues uh, week after week after week. So uh, definitely dig in. But for those... <clears throat> who are wondering, the, the text that we were covering this week is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 um, through chapter 2, verse 2. And uh, for those who weren't here last week, just a, a quick recap. We started a new series in the book of 1 John. And uh, we spent most of last week looking at sort of the background of the book, and then we got into the first four verses. And um, this letter was written by... Uh, the Apostle John. He was late in his life, probably in his 80s, and he was writing to Christians in the churches of Asia Minor. And the reason why he was writing to them was to address some false teachings that had made their way into the church. And these believers in these different churches, they were struggling. 
They were struggling with doubts. They were struggling with confusion uh, because they were getting some conflicting teachings from what they had heard from John. And so John is writing in order to correct these false teachings. He's writing to instruct them in, in the fundamentals of the faith. He wants to point them to the things that matter the most. I love that about this book because I think sometimes we can get so caught up in all these like, extra issues that we, we lose track of the things that, that really matter the most. And he wants to, as he said at the end of the book in chapter 5, verse 13, he wants to give them assurance of their salvation. Near the very end of the book, he says these words. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a great verse, isn't it? It's one that's quoted a lot. John wants his readers to be confident in their salvation. And so he's going to direct their attention to the things that matter most. He's gonna, and he's going to focus on really three main things in this book. He's going to focus on right beliefs. So in other words, right doctrine, having the right beliefs about who God is and who Jesus is and the things that matter most. He's going to focus on right living, living like Christ in the world. And he's going to focus on right relationship, having a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. Now, last week, we saw just in the first four verses, he hits on two of these. In the first four verses, John uh, comes right out of the gate, and he's addressing a heretical teaching that was circulating that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he only appeared to be human. He was just a spirit being. And John comes right out of the gate, and he says, you got to be kidding me. I've seen him. I've heard him. Uh, we have touched him. Jesus is every bit God, yes, but he's also every bit human. It's a foundational Christian doctrine that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And John wants his readers to understand that right beliefs matter. It matters what you believe about Jesus. We also saw last week that John was writing to these believers because he wanted them to know and experience a deep and meaningful fellowship with God and with each other, right? He says, that's, that's why I'm writing these things. John wants his readers to understand that a right relationship matters. Well, this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And in this passage, John is going to focus our attention on something that creates a huge barrier in our fellowship with God and with each other. And I mentioned this last week, and you guys were really excited that today we're going to talk about sin. Yeah. You're not, you're not excited. <laughs> like, like the collective frown just went across your faces. It's not a fun topic, is it? Sin. As I prayed just a moment ago, I hate the fact that sin still remains in me. You know? I don't like that. But John wants his readers to understand that, that right living matters. And sin creates a barrier in our fellowship with God. And we want to have a right fellowship with the Lord, don't we? Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And verse 5 is where we're going to begin. 
So John starts out here, and it's really, again, i, I got to say this because it's so important that I was thinking about, I was talking to my wife about this, I think it was yesterday, that it's a shame that we can't just sit here and go through 1 John in like one sitting, right? The whole thing, just dig deep all the way through in one sitting, all five chapters. <laughs> You're like, oh man, we would be here for a while. But the thing is that, that when, when the readers got this letter, they didn't say, okay, let's come together this Sunday, we're going to read the first four verses. All right, goodbye, go home. Come back next week, we'll read eight or nine more. And then the next week, we'll come back and read eight or nine more, right? And so it's a bummer that we can't do that, but, um, but that's why you should be reading it during the week all the way through, right? So this is a continuation. This is not like a brand new thought, right? He's building off of what he talked about last week, this idea that he wants them to have fellowship, and he understands that there's something that stands in the way of that fellowship, and he's going to address it right now. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John says that he has a message that he is supposed to proclaim to these believers. And, and here's what the message is. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about what, you know, what John means here by light and darkness but I want to draw our attention to something else that John says in this first verse here. That the message that he's bringing to these believers about God is the message that he, he what? He heard from Jesus, right? Heard from him. The, the, the same person that he was talking about in the first four verses. He was talking about Jesus. He said, this is the message that we heard from him. These are not John's opinions about God. And that's the point I want to make. He is sharing what he has directly heard from God, from Jesus, about who God is and about what God is like. And why is that important? It's important because we need to understand that people, including you and I, have all kinds of different beliefs about who God is and what God is like, right? If you were to survey 100 random people, you would get all kinds of different thoughts about who God is and what God's like, and I'm telling you, some of them would be really strange, right? The problem is that for the majority of those opinions, they are not based on what God has revealed about himself. They are based on what people want God to be like, right? People want to make a God, God into an image that they can tolerate right? What is God like? Well, I think he's like me, right? The problem is my opinions don't matter and neither do yours. What I think about God, what you think about God, it doesn't matter. What matters is what God has revealed about himself. And where is he revealed? Who he is? In his word, right? And so when we're talking to people about who God is and what God is like, let's be mindful that what we're giving them is not what we want God to be like, but what he actually says he is like. Amen? Amen. John says that this is the message that we've heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, in the previous verses, John emphasized his desire for these believers to have fellowship with God. 
So he begins by laying a foundation of who God is. Because if we're going to have a relationship with God, we need to have a biblical understanding of who he is and what he's like. Because right beliefs matter. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now, if you've read through the Bible, as I'm assuming a lot of you have, the whole metaphor of light and darkness is one that you have run into all across the pages of Scripture, right? In the pages of Scripture, we see that light and darkness are used as a metaphor for, for truth and error, for, for good and evil. And we also see light being used to describe God's holiness, right, and the radiance of his glory. My favorite, my favorite is, is when Moses is meeting with God, right? And then after he meets with God, he comes back before the people and it says that they were afraid of him because his face was shining after being in the presence of God. The glory of God, his radiance, his holiness, his, his light. It's also a metaphor that John, the apostle, uh, seems to be particularly fond of. It appears all through his writings. I'm going to go ahead and just read a few of them to you. I'll put them up on the, on the screen so because it would probably be too fast for you to turn there, but you can try. Ready? John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. John 1, 4 through 9, he says this. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 6, he says that there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. And this is John the Baptist now, not John the Apostle. And he, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, right? John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then I love this one in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 23, John is describing the new Jerusalem, and he says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus. It's good stuff. How many people were able to flip to all of them that quickly? Anybody? Wow, look at you. And he's actually, that's a real Bible, too. I mean, the Bible on your phone is real, but it's, you know what I'm saying, right? I, I, like, the, I like the paper copy. Amen. <laughs> so. So when John, when John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he is saying that God is in every possible way, every possible way, he is perfect. As Stephen Smalley puts it, he says it means that he is absolute in his glory, in his truth, and in his holiness. And if we're going to have fellowship with God, the type of fellowship that we talked about last week, we need to begin with a right understanding of who God is and what he's like. God is light. He is in every possible way absolutely perfect. Perfect. 
Let that sink in. But we are not. Right? We are not perfect. We are sinners. And sin creates a barrier in our fellowship with God. Remember, this is what John's after. He wants us to have fellowship, but we need to talk about sin because it's creating a barrier in our relationship with God. And so beginning in verse 6, John is going to address the issue of sin and forgiveness because these false teachers were polluting the biblical understanding of sin and its effect. Now, the way that John is going to address these false teachings is through a series of, of conditional statements. You familiar with conditional statements like if-then statements? He's going to give six if-then statements, and they're going to be grouped together in pairs, in pairs. Verses 6 and 7 are grouped together as a pair. Verses 8 and 9 are grouped together as a pair. And verse 10 and chapter 2, verse 1 are grouped together as a pair. And you're thinking, why did he put a chapter break between his pairing? And the answer is, he didn't. <laughs> it's a letter. We added the numbers in the verses later, right? So... Yeah, blame somebody else for that. So for each of these pairings, okay, we've got three pairs. Each of these pairings, you're going to see that the first conditional statement is going to highlight the claim of the false teachers. It's going to highlight this false claim. And then the second conditional statement will provide the true biblical alternative. And together, bunched together, these three pairs... These statements are going to help John's original audience and hopefully help us to know the truth about sin and forgiveness. So let's look at John's first pairing, verses 6 and 7. John says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, now what's not there, you don't, may not see it in your translation, then, it's not there, but you hear it, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let's talk first about the false claim in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and we do not practice the truth. John says, listen, you can claim to have fellowship with God all you want, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me and God, we are like so tight. We are, we are so close, right? John says, that's great. You can make that claim all you want, but if you're walking in darkness, it's a lie. It's a lie and you do not practice the truth. In other words, he's saying you are a hypocrite, right? You're claiming to be something that you are not. Stephen Smalley says that the verb tense for walk here denotes continuity. It implies a determination to choose sin or darkness rather than God or light. So we're not talking about somebody who made a mistake, right? I messed up. I failed. We're talking about somebody who is living in habitual sin. They are practicing sin, he says. They are what you might call sin practitioners, right? 
You don't want to go see one of those folks. They're, they are living in sin. John says, John says, if that's you and you're saying that you have fellowship with God, you need to understand that that's a lie. It's not possible. You cannot be simultaneously walking in fellowship with God and then living in habitual sin, choosing sin over God. He says it's not possible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says this. Paul says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has light with darkness? And the answer is none. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. Light casts out darkness, doesn't it? And so this is the first false claim that, that, that John is addressing. Let's look at what the biblical alter alternative is in verse 7. He said, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John says, rather than walk in darkness, rather than practice sin and, and try to hide our sins from God and others, we should walk in the light. We should live in the truth. We should walk in obedience to the Lord. We should follow and imitate him. John says, don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light. And then he gives, he gives two results, two consequences for walking in the light. First, he says that those who walk in the light have fellowship with one another. Now, you might expect that John would say that those who walk in the light have fellowship with God, right? I mean, because before, in the, in the first claim, the false claim, he says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, you're a liar. But if you walk in the light, then you will have fellowship with, you would expect him to say God, right? But he says with one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that you get both when you walk in the light. Remember last week in, in, in verse 3, John said that, he said, we, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, right? And then he said, why? So that you too may have fellowship with us, right? And then he says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so when we walk in the light, we do have fellowship with God, right? But I think John elevates it. He says, you don't just get fellowship with God, you get fellowship with one another. And we need to understand that we, we cannot say that we are walking in the light and we have fellowship with God and not love one another. And that's a topic that John is going to elaborate a lot more in this book. When we, when we walk in the light, we're going to experience a love for and a commitment to other believers. That's, that's the fellowship that we talked about last week. You've heard it, right? Oh, I love God. I just, it's his people I can't stand, right? And John would say, well, you're not walking in the light then, right? And does it mean that people won't bug us? No, right? We, we drive each other crazy, but we love each other and we grow together and we work through our troubles together, right? If we're walking in the light, we will love one another. But John says there's a second result as well. 
He says that when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in the light, and again, this is a present tense of walk, a continual walking. As we obey the Lord's teachings and as we allow the Holy Spirit to expose the sin and darkness in our lives, because when you're walking in the light, it's going to expose the darkness, right? We're told that God cleanses us from all sin. And again, the word for cleanses is also in the present tense. So what John is pointing out here is that we have a need, we have a need for continual cleansing. We do. Why? Because we continue to sin, right? And our sin impacts our relationship with God, right? Our fellowship is hindered by the sin in our lives. Our our, our sins impact our relationship with each other. And so John says, walk in the light. Walk in the light and, and you'll be cleansed from your sin. Well, that leads to the next two conditional statements that he has, verses 8 and 9. Let's read those together. Verses 8 and 9, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This this next false claim flows naturally out of the first one, right? In the previous verse, John says that we are in need of continual cleansing because we continue to sin. But apparently, some of these false teachers were saying that they they have no sin, right? Now, I haven't run into this too often, but maybe you have. Occasionally, I have run into it, and that is to talk with someone who claims that once you have become a Christian, you can live sinlessly for the rest of your life. To which I might reply, maybe, if you live for like one more minute, you know, like got saved and dropped dead. I lived sinless after I came to Christ. Think about it for a second. When we talk about sin, there are two basic types of sins. You might be familiar with this. Sins of commission, right? These are the sins that we commit, right? We, we lie. We yell at our kids. We yell at the person in the car in front of us who's not going fast enough, right? I'd never do this stuff. <laughs> we think bad thoughts, right? We covet, right? You get the idea, And then there are sins of omission. Oh, these ones are hard. These are the sins where we fail to do something that the Lord is calling us to do. Serve your neighbor. Talk about Jesus with a coworker. Give of your time or your money to to some cause or something that the Lord is calling you to do. James, the book of James says that the one who knows the good he ought to do, if he doesn't do it, to him it is, it's sin. Sins of omission. And between the sins of commission and then the sins of omission, you can bank on the fact that you are going to 
to sin. You're not going to quite measure up at times. And hopefully we're growing. Hopefully the Bible word for that is sanctification. Hopefully we're becoming more like Jesus every day. But the fact of the matter is, I got to be honest, there are, that even on my best days, even on my best days, have I worshipped him the way I should have? I may have worshipped him, but I did, did I worship him with all my heart? Or was it only 80%? 80% is pretty good, right? But I, there's still growth there. I haven't given God my very best, right? We are going to sin. We do. And John says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, John says you are self-deceived. And the truth is not in you. That's a serious claim, right? That's very serious. And that's the bad news, right? So there's the bad news. Let's look at the good news. This is the true biblical alternative to that false claim. Verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is one of my favorite, favorite verses. If you haven't memorized it, this is a good one to commit to memory. What a promise we have in this verse. John says, John says, don't deny your sins. Don't claim that you have no sins. Instead, fess up. Fess up. Just admit it. The biblical definition for confession is to agree with God about your sin. You're seeing your sin for what it is. It's a violation of God's commands and it's creating a barrier in your fellowship with him. So instead of denying it, we should go immediately to God and confess them. Why? Because of the barrier that it is creating in our fellowship with him. But if we do confess it, the good news is, John says, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. I thought that, that when we became Christians, when we became Christians, God forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. Do you believe that? That's true. God has. And so you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. If they're already forgiven, why do I have to keep confessing when I sin? It's already forgiven. And the answer is that it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. I haven't lost my salvation when I sin, but you can bank on the fact that my relationship with God isn't what it should be when I've been sinning. There's a barrier in our fellowship with one another because of my sin. When we sin against God, our relationship suffers. It's just like when we sin against each other, right? You know, if one of my sons were to sin against me, if they were to sin against me, we'd still have a relationship, right? I mean, they would still be my son, right? He's still my son. We have a relationship, but the relationship has suffered, hasn't it? There's a barrier in our relationship because of the sin that he's committed against me. By the way, they haven't done anything. And so like, they're like, what did I do? What did I do? 
But if my son were to come to me and confess what he did, and if he was to ask me for forgiveness, right, our relationship would be in a position where we can move forward and grow together, right? And that's what we want in our relationship with God as well. Confession's important. It's really important. We need to confess our sins to God, and we need to confess our sins to one another when it's appropriate, don't we? I love how John Stott says it. He says, The way to have fellowship with a God who is light is not to deny the fact or the effects of sin, but to confess our sins and thankfully appropriate God's provision for our cleansing. Amen? If we confess our sins, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that leads now to the third and the final pair of conditional statements that John makes in this passage, beginning in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Whew. I want you to see something here. In the first false claim in verse 6, John said, if you claim to have fellowship with God while living in darkness, he says, you are a liar. You're a liar. In the second false claim in verse 8, he said, if you claim to have no sin, you're self-deceived. You are self-deceived. But here in verse 10, in the third false claim, he says, if you claim to have not sinned, you are calling God a liar. Yikes. The clear teaching of Scripture is that every human being is a sinner by nature. We inherited a sin nature that has been passed down ever since Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden. Romans 3.23 says that we are, um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And John says if we deny that we have sinned, we are calling God a liar. And it says his word is not in us. And I was thinking about it, you know, if to say that we have not sinned means that we would have been able to pay the price for others' sins. That means that it was unnecessary for God to send his son Jesus to die. You could have done it instead. I don't think that's something that God would take lightly. It cost Jesus everything. If we say we have not sinned, we're saying God is a liar. He says his word is not in us. This is the truth of his word, the gospel. But the word there is logos or logos. We, we still haven't settled on how to say that. You can be sure that the word, Jesus, is not in you either if you claim that you have not sinned. These false claims that John is addressing in verses 6, 8, and 10, they are incredibly serious. To say that you have not sinned is heretical. Let's look now at the final, the final con uh, conditional statement in this passage. The biblical alternative to the false claim that we just read in verse 10. In chapter 2, verse 1, John says, I love this, My little children... I just love the, the, this term of endearment from John, right? John loves these 
people. They're not just children. He's not like he's, he's older. He's in his 80s. These are younger Christians. He's writing them their children. He says they're little children, this, this term of endearment. But more than that, he says they're my little children. He loves these people. And he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. John wants to make his intentions very clear here, and and I hope that I'll be able to make mine very clear as well. While it is true, while it is true that everyone has sinned, and it is true that everyone continues to sin, John is by no means going soft on sins, on sins, right? He says he's written these things that you may not sin. The goal, the goal is yes, we want to walk in holiness, right? Like we wake up in the morning, it should be our hearts desire. God, I want to live without sin in my life 100% today. I want to. It's what I want. Do you want that? Is that what you want? That's what John wants for you. That's what he wants for these people. He's saying, listen, don't make any mistake here. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you will sin. But I'm telling you, I'm writing to you because I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to sin anymore. The goal is to walk in holiness. The goal is to follow Jesus. The goal is to live like he lived and and to love like Jesus loved. We don't want to sin. But then John says, but... (laughs) If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The biblical alternative to denying sin for the believer is to recognize that when we sin, we have an advocate who intercedes on our behalf. We have an advocate. It's a, he's our, Jesus is our, our defense attorney, right, if you will. Jesus Christ, and he is what John calls the righteous. Jesus is the only person to have ever lived a sinless life. And because he is righteous, his sacrifice on the cross was able to pay the penalty for our sins, right? Verse 7, look back at what it says. It says that the blood of Jesus, his son, that is what cleanses us from all sin. So when Jesus advocates for us, let me tell you what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying to the Father, they've never sinned. They've never sinned. Look past it. They've never sinned. He's not saying that we will never sin again. But what he is saying is that our sins have been paid for and that we have been made righteous through him. He says to the Father, don't look at that. Look at me. I paid. And that's why we can look back at verse 9 and we can say he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. Justice demands that there be a sacrifice for sins. And Jesus said, justice has been met. I made that sacrifice. Amen? Verse chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says that Jesus is our advocate. He says that, that Jesus is righteous. And then he continues in verse 2, and he says that Jesus, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. Don't you like that word? Say that one five times fast, right? 
And what that means is that Jesus is the satisfactory sacrifice for our sins, that Jesus appeased or he met the righteous demands of God the Father when he died on the cross for our sins. He was, it appeased the demands that were necessary because of sin. But then John adds, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' death, his sacrifice in our place was sufficient to appease the righteous demands of God, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what John is saying here. So does that mean that everyone in the world will be saved? It does not. It does not mean that. The Bible is clear that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all, but it is only applied to those who put their faith in him. Sufficient, but it's not applied to all. In John's gospel, some familiar verses. I want to read as we kind of come and bring this to a close for today. John wrote in chapter 3, verses 16 through 21, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John in his gospel and in this letter, is inviting us to walk in the light, right? You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to be. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for your salvation. But it will only be applied to you through belief that he is your Lord and Savior. You need to come to him and confess that you need him. Turn from your sins. That's what repentance means. Turn from your sins. Walk in the light. Receive his gift of salvation. John wants you and I to know the truth about sin and forgiveness. Sin creates a barrier in our fellowship with God, and it creates a barrier in our fellowship with each other. And John wants us to have a deep and meaningful relationship with God, right? He wants us to really know it. Last week when, I, when we were closing, I said, my prayer for you is that you would all 
grow in this deep and meaningful relationship with God, that you would have an unquenchable desire to know Him. And maybe, maybe you said, yeah, I do, and I'm just struggling. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's some sin that we need to let His light expose in our lives because it's standing in the way of our deeper, meaningful fellowship with the Lord. So as we leave this place today, let's accept John's invitation to walk in the light, right? To follow Jesus and to imitate him. And let's, let's try not to sin, right? He's saying, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. So don't be like, well, going to sin anyway. <laughs> Whatever. You know, that's not the attitude that John wants you to have. You don't want to sin because you don't want to hurt that relationship, right? Let's thank God for Jesus, who is our advocate. He's interceding on our behalf, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you have not put your faith in Christ, right? Make today the day where you apply that sacrifice to your life, right? Receive the gift. It's for you. Turn from your sin. Confess your need for God, and invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. All right. Next week, your homework assignment. We're going we're gonna to pick up where we left off. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3, and hopefully make it through verse 11 next week. All right? So do your reading or read all five chapters again um, if you're able to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your, for your servant, John, your, your close, close friend. Thank you that he wrote these words. Oh, thank you that he spoke truth to these original recipients, and, and now we receive this truth so that we can really understand the truth about sin and the forgiveness that's available. God, we don't want to sin. We don't. We want to walk in the light. We want to have fellowship with you. And God, I just pray this morning that for, for myself and for any, any of us, God, that your light would expose anything in our hearts that needs to be exposed so that we can walk in a closer fellowship with you. God, I pray that uh, as we leave this place today that, that we would grow in our relationship with you this week, that we would know you better. And I pray that by the time we come back together again next week, that we'll, we'll be so excited to share with each other about the good things that we've been seeing you do in our lives. We pray for that. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Continue to speak to our hearts this week as we meditate on it and prepare our hearts for what you have in store for us today and each day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.